Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we break down the four championship weekend for the NASCAR series and uh, touching all the other uh, racing news in the world. Uh, before we get started, let me introduce you to the panel I have tonight. My good friends Gray Warren and Richard Uden are both here with me. Gray, Richard, how are you? How you doing tonight? How you doing tonight, guys? Yeah, very good. Hope everybody else is good. All right. So, so, you know, it's a long, long season of NASCAR coming coming to a head there in Miami. Uh, You know, and sometimes the world is a a cruel place where things, you know, don't work out and people are disappointed. But uh, uh, for whatever reason, this thing ended just as it should have. Um, the guy that won the most races, the team that uh, was dominant for most of the year, ended up winning the thing. And it's just a great, um, great Cinderella story uh, for Martin Truex, who's had a, a, you know, a long road uh, to come to this point um, with much adversity uh, between um, you know, losing his ride with Michael Waltrip and, and nearly you know, going back to uh, working on the piers in New Jersey. Uh, to align himself with uh, Barney Visser and um, Furniture Row Racing, um, align with Toyota. Um, we know his uh, struggles at home with his uh, girlfriend Sherry's in a battle with cancer. Uh, Barney Visser is battling heart disease and, and wasn't able to make the finale. Um, but it's just kind of everything just like kind of aligned right there for Martin. Didn't have the best car at the end of the day, but he was able to uh, drive a heck of a race and hold off a charging Kyle Busch and win this thing. Um, it's just it's just a really feel-good story for NASCAR yeah. after this long season. So, um, Gray, Richard, you guys, uh, you guys have been following this thing all year long. You you're both deeply involved in the sports, so uh, I'll start with you, Gray. What are your, what are your thoughts on uh, Mr. Truex Furniture, Furniture Row Racing, Toyota, and um, just this great cup they've won? Well, uh, definitely, you know, the feel-good story, like you said, and and uh, and, and really deserving uh, that, that they won it. They they dominated the race 
races all year. Uh, they won. This was at their, this weekend was their eighth win of the year, uh, eighth win of the season. They've led more laps than any team, and they came each week to race. They came each week with a plan to 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 qualify as as, as well as they could and to lead as many laps as, as they could. And, and obviously, uh, with a with a break here or there, uh, they could be sitting with with ten or more wins uh, on the season. So yeah, it was. Uh, and, and a team that's overcome a lot of adversity off the track too, which has been you know well publicized. But uh, the uh, the to set the stage for Miami, uh, the championship four all qualified and practiced pretty well. I think Keselowski was a little bit down on speed during the week, but uh, he still made his presence known. And and all the championship four ran in the top ten uh, most of the the day and tried some differing strategies throughout the race to kind of, you know, put themselves in position. Uh, early on, uh, Truex didn't have the best car, but a- a- as they've done all year long, they, they didn't give up. They worked on their car and got it better uh, as, the day, as the day progressed. Uh, Kyle Busch's car, the 18, was probably uh, the best car overall all day. Uh, there was a stretch in the race where the four ran ran pretty good but uh they were all on a little bit different different strategies some cars ran ran well on the uh on on, on uh right out of the gate uh uh on short runs i think harvick's car was very good on, on short runs at the beginning but it seemed that kyle bush bush his car would uh, would really come in and he was really set up for the long run in, in the race another car that ran pretty well that had a good season uh the 42 uh, won the first two segments of the race pretty much in dominant fashion. Uh, faded a little bit there in the in the in the last uh, section there. I think again a little bit on strategy, but it was able to rally and and finish third. And I thought it was very telling that you had probably the three best cars of the season, the three best teams when you look at it: uh, the 78, the 18, and the 42 finish one, two, and three. Uh, as as it all as it all uh, came down, but but uh, uh, the last pit stops really kind of set the stage. Uh, Kyle Busch tried a little bit different strategy than the other two, and uh, uh, Truex was just able to make his car work, and he got a little bit of a lead. Uh, Kyle Busch was held up a little bit trying to get around the 22, which uh, he he wasn't uh, wasn't too happy about it. But there again. Joey Logano read the entry blank, which said it was a race, and that's what he was doing. He was ra- he was racing. Good point. So uh, you know, uh, and so you know, it was Kyle's job to go ahead and dispose of the twenty-two as fast as he could. He just he he didn't, and it and it may have cost him. But but good story. Truex wins it. Uh, good story for that team. Uh, and when you think about it, the seventy-eight, this is this is only their eighth year of full time. Uh, as a full-time team in the Cup Series, I think their first full-time year was 20, 2010. Uh, you know, they—they, they, I think, uh, I forget what year it was, but uh, Reagan Smith uh, won for them at Darlington, won the Southern 500 for their first win, uh, and then they had some had a few lean years. Uh, Truex got the ride there. They had their first year together was was not very good. In fact, it was. Very tumultuous, and they had a lot of bad luck. 
the next year they came along and, you know, uh, ne- several years later, you know, they came along and won four races. And, of course, this year they really came around and, and, and were the dominant car. Uh, in fact, you know, they had some good races last year, but they were just they were just struck by bad luck race after race and uh, really should have probably done better than they than they done. But, you know, they served notice last year that they were going to be strong this year and, and they were able to uh, to prevail. And, and strong they were all season long. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, this, yeah. is, this is a team that they said, oh, you can't do that. You can't base your team way out west in Colorado when everyone else is uh, right here in the hub of NASCAR in the Mooresville, Charlotte area. Uh, and, you know, it kind of reminds me of other guys that said, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And they said, well, let us just do it our way. And, and they did. Now, now Richard, um, you've watched this all year long, too. Well, I mean, what are your, your thoughts and your comments on Furniture Row Racing, Toyota, and Martin Truex. We've, we've often talked on this show, um, especially in sort of the realms of Formula One, about executing a race weekend. And, you know, what, what they did this weekend was a, a perfect example of that. They went out and they executed perfectly. They did what they had to do. They know that they knew they had a quick car. They knew they, they had a package that was, uh, you know, would enable them to win. And they didn't make any mistakes. They had a couple of slightly iffy pit stops but um you know nothing catastrophic um that uh, there's a late race caution which sort of jumbled up that uh, strategy call by the 18 by staying out longer than the other three contenders so potentially there could have been interesting there to see what would have happened happened if um that caution hadn't come out and that uh, that strategy call had played itself to to its uh, you know to, to the end of the race but uh, no, they deserved it more than anybody. Um, it was, yeah. uh, you know, very effective, very efficient, very clinical, and and I don't think anybody can can genuinely knock uh, what they've achieved there. Um, yeah. I think I think one thing you know you you hinted at there with them basing themselves out uh, in in Denver, Colorado, <laughs> saying that you can't do that. Well, it'd be interesting to know how many people they have working for them that are not sort of diehard NASCAR employees, how many people that they've employed that have come in from outside of the sport, just to see and get an idea of how many, um, or, you know, how many fresh ideas they've brought in. Um, yeah. I think, I think often it can be, you know, be, Oh great. Well, you know, we hire in people from other teams. Well, sometimes that's half the problem. Sometimes yeah. you may need fresh blood and fresh ideas to come in and, uh, and see what goes on there. But, uh, no, you can't knock them. They've done a fantastic job this year. I agree with what you just said about that, too. And, 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 and I, can, I can attest to a little personal knowledge. When many, many years ago, when Bill Davis was, was, was forming his team, uh, Bill came to North Carolina, and, and, and in the beginning, when he started his, his team, he ran, we ran the Bush Grand National Series, and he ran it out of his shops in Arkansas. Of course, we just did it part-time. But when Bill decided to go and 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 go full time and and start a team, he came to North Carolina and we rode around. I rode around with him in, in different areas looking for shops and stuff. And Bill decided to move his shop to High Point, North Carolina. And one of the reasons he did, he did not want to be down in the Mooresville, Concord, or Charlotte area. He wanted to kind of he wanted his race team and the things that he wanted to bring to the sport to be proprietary. And a lot of that is being being segregated 
from from the other teams. When you would go down to Charlotte and Mooresville at that time, they were all most of the race teams were all located in in one big business park. All that meant all the teams they went to they'd go to lunch at the restaurants around there and they would intermingle and really stuff that you wanted to keep secret didn't stay secret and and, <laughs> and, and things like that and and uh, people would and racing is a migratory sport anyway and people would move around you know it, for fifty to a hundred dollars more a week and push their toolboxes literally down the sidewalk from one shop to another. And that's one of the things that that Bill didn't want to get into. He wanted to kind of create his own identity in, in, a, in an area. And I think it worked very well for us. We were in High Point. Uh, the closest other shop to us was was Petty Engineering in, in, in neighboring uh, Randolph County. And then we had Richard Childress Racing in, on the other side in, in neighboring Davidson County. So we were kind of, you know, the the three teams, we were kind of out, out on an island you know, uh, each of us. But uh, I think all three teams were successful in their own right uh, doing that. And they were always the naysayers that said, no, you've got to be in Charlotte because that's where the workforce is and this is where this is. And where this. I'm going to tell you something. Bill had the idea. If you create a good environment and you pay these guys well, they will come and work for you anywhere you set up. And, that, and that's the truth. And that's kind of what Barney Visser's done out in Colorado, he's attracted people, and I think they they cherry pick some people. Uh, Cole Pern was a former engineer at Richard Childress Racing, and some some a few guys that worked for them are former RCR employees, and that was the tie in because it, uh, early on they were one of our alliance teams uh, for, for several years, and so, but but then they got other guys like Richard alluded to uh, from outside of racing and brought people in where they could train them in and and indoctrinate them into the culture they were trying to create in their shop and uh, i think uh i think you know they've they've done a great job the the results speak for themselves oh without any hesitation and you know when you consider all of the um logistical negative aspects of being based out there then they must be doing something else different from all the other teams to offset those negative connotations so uh yeah i i think they've uh, you know they've got a really good bunch of guys there and as you say you know we've worked with some of them when they were an alliance team to rcr and uh, yeah they're, they're pretty switched on those guys out there yeah and you know they and they, and, they, and they do things smart they work smart and and you know, and I can tell you from a, for a fact, when they were one of our alliance teams, we that we benefited or at RCR, we benefited as much from aligning ourselves with them as they from us in, in, sure. in the creativity that they brought to the table and the things that we learned from them. You know, we, we provided them with chassis and engines and, and, and we had a technical sharing uh, thing going on there but we learned we learned from them too and and they and as and when they were one of our alliance teams richard tell you they performed well uh, oh yeah i mean they won in, in pocono didn't they and yeah uh, was it just they, pocono or did they win two that year i think it was I just think, pocono wasn't it yeah i think they won pocono in yeah. uh in, in in an alliance car and yeah. basically um you know we uh pretty proud of that from our from our rcr standpoint because they took our equipment and and they kind of 
you know, nurtured nurtured it on their end and 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 won the race. So yeah, it's uh, they are they are they're in their own little world. But you know, racing's changed a little bit in the day, and you know, uh, the UPS truck goes there just like it comes to our shop. And of course, with the with the Toyota program that they have, all the engines for the Toyota teams are done in Costa Mesa, uh, California. So all those engines are shipped into the teams, uh, you know, to Joe Gibbs and, and to them. So that's that's not much of a problem. And they have, of course, they have direct contacts. And Toyota has has liaison and and, and people working directly with with each team. And then, of course, I, I I do believe they got their chassis. And, and and stuff from Joe Gibbs. So basically, that they probably uh, helped Joe Gibbs a little bit too uh, in the performance as well. So it was a total total effort for Toyota. And let's not forget that not only was it Furniture Row, but uh, Toyota uh, uh, hats off to those guys too because uh, they really uh, they won the manufacturers championship. I think for the second year in a row and uh, really put. Put uh, put their money where their mouth is. I mean, so to speak, with with the resources that they've given uh, given those teams. And Richard can talk talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at um, you know you look at the way Toyota have come in and and you know with a with an aim of the sport and to win uh, you know multiple championships now. Uh, you know they've certainly uh, checked a lot of the boxes that they uh, they would have set out when they. Uh, when when they first came in, so uh, they've got to uh, got to take a lot of credit for that. And uh, you know, it, money talks in this sport, and there's no doubt that uh, Toyota do put a lot of money in. They have a, a huge engineering background that they uh, that they push very very hard. And uh, yeah, it uh, you know credit to them. Um, there's, they, they've, uh, they've set the bar. Oh, without any hesitation, and. Unfortunately, it's up to the other organisations now to uh, to realise where that is, and uh, you know, look at how how they run the sport. And I think there's a a sort of a, a trade off that people have to be very careful with. I think more than any of the other two manufacturers, Toyota look at this with their motorsport history and their motorsport background as. Um, you know, they would, uh, you know, some of the other racing series around the world, they, they go out there and they execute in a very professional way and they, they, they are an engine. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Engineering-based uh, company, and maybe within the hierarchy of NASCAR, there's a little bit of pushback on that. They don't want NASCAR to become a, and it's a, trust me, it's a long way off it, but a Formula One-style sport where its engineering budget dominates. But mm-hmm. it is going to happen. There is, there's a fundamental issue here, whereas if you give a company like Toyota, a budget, and within the Toyota hierarchy, you know they will have a budget, and they will turn around and say, 
we are going to spend X number of tens of millions of dollars a year on our NASCAR project. If you turn around and say, oh, you can only spend $2 million a year in wind tunnel time, they'll find another way of spending money. And if they limit that, they'll find another way of spending money. These companies that you people criticize for spending too much money and say, oh, they need a, a salary cap or a, um, you know, a payment structure or a spending structure, there are ways around it. There always have been and there always will be. And yeah. they will spend it no matter what you do. Um, you know, you, you'll get in a scenario where you say, okay, you can only spend, you know, X amount. Well, then it'll turn out that the engines become free, you know, mm-hmm. but then you'll divert all the money into marketing, which then gets back channels through into engineering. There is nothing that they can do. So I think NASCAR is at a crossroads here. They either need to embrace the engineering side of NASCAR or they're in danger of alienating the fan by turning around and saying, oh, this is pure racing, this isn't purely money-based, or this isn't purely engineering-based. Right, so when it is that... Richard, I want to touch on something there, because you just mentioned alienating the <coughs> fan, right? And, yep. uh, you know, me, I, I'm the odd type of individual that likes to torture myself by reading social media comments on NASCAR Post on <laughs> social media. And there's this undercurrent uh, among the fan, the the... You know, you know, not folks that are deeply involved in the sport, but the, more of the casual watcher. That somehow uh, Toyota is funneling money into NASCAR, and NASCAR is helping them out. And of course, no. you and I, Gray, no, all know that's not the case. Toyota is doing their homework and doing a, you know, doing a good job of what they're doing. Um, but you know, when you're talking about alienating the fan. And you, you've still got some of this uh, post-World War II anti-Japan sentiment that uh, <laughs> well, yeah, still still crops yeah, up did. every now and again from some folks. But That's uh, old, I, I, yeah. I, I, I can tell you the Toyota Camry is manufactured uh, 20 miles north of me in Georgetown, Kentucky. But, um, I, you, know, Toyota, you mean you, Toyota, you don't live in Tokyo? No, I live in Kentucky, and we, we, we make Toyotas <laughs> right up the way. And, and I'll tell you this, I know this for a fact. Toyota is one of the most wonderful employers in the area. They, they, oh, they, they, they take yeah. care of their employees very well. They do. On, on a side you note. Know, but, um, here's you know, so, so uh, you know, and we've, you know, so there's, people have seen the Toyota banners on the um, Daytona project, uh, you know, where they built the new grandstands and there's a Toyota thing. And it's like, so Toyota's not paying NASCAR so much as Toyota has bought into the sport. And Toyota's done their homework, so what do we need to do to change change public perception of this? Well, let me me just talk to you about that, Frank. All these manufacturers have to pay NASCAR. Absolutely. They all pay NASCAR. And Toyota paid NASCAR a bunch of money when they came into the sport because that's what NASCAR does. That's how they operate. Ford pays them. Chevy pays them. Look Look at all the stuff. I mean... Caterpillar, pay all these sponsors have some, have channel money into the sanctioning body. You go to the racetrack and you look at all these all these trucks that show up at the racetrack and safety vehicles and everything. You think yeah. NASCAR's gone and bought those things? Hell no. Toyota or Ford or Chevy or somebody has has uh, brings those manufacturer vehicles in, in into them. So NASCAR's all all the time. Working their angle 
with the manufacturers because they think it's it's their sandbox and it's their forum and and the manufacturers are going to benefit by racing in their forum so they're going to have to pay pay to do it and that's the way NASCAR looks at it. But, but I, I think that's sure, part but, of the but, problem. But part of the problem is that that some folks who just watch, you know, and they're not involved, you know, they believe that Toyota has paid NASCAR enough to guarantee the win, which is ridiculous, right? It's the same folks that say, it come to you and say, well, so-and-so is a great little driver. So-and-so needs to put him in a car. Right. They don't understand. They're the same ones that when, when the driver, they don't like wins, they say, well, that team always cheats. You know, they don't have it. They don't exactly. have a sense of the economics of the sport. They, no, not they, at all. They simp- They have a simplistic view of it. That this is the way it happens, and not just like, well, this guy's a great little driver. Somebody needs to put him in a car. Well, yeah, if he can come up and bring money to the thing, somebody will put him in a car. But nobody's going to just. It's the days of somebody just plucking a kid off out of out of a dirt track somewhere in Georgia. And putting him in a car are long gone. Those days will never come again. I mean, and 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 a lot of the things it's just simple. I mean, economics and and like like uh, like Richard alluded to, it's an arms race, and it always will be among the manufacturers and 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 the teams. They're gonna the money they get, they're gonna spend it every dime of it they can to prevail in the sport. And, and it's no different than really it's ever been. I think it's magnified more now because there's more money out there, you know, and and, and people are grasping and, uh, and and embracing the technology. The, the the stock car hasn't changed in 40 years. We're still running the same platform basically that we ran 40 years ago. It hasn't changed. The front suspension is based on that of a 68 Chevelle. The rear suspension is based on that of a 65 Ford Galaxy with Chevrolet truck uh, trailing arms. That, that's but a given. See, but, but what happens, and the problem that you're seeing is, you know, as Gray mentions, everything's so, you know, basically antiquated, for want of a better word, in these cars. But we've, like, embraced, we've embraced the technology to understand exactly. what we're that's, doing now that, exactly. that we did not have years yep. ago. So all we're, of the... Yeah. All of the what you'd call the low-hanging fruit in terms of technical development has gone. You know, the the, the really simplistic things that a half-decent engineer with, you know, a good concept of vehicle dynamics can work out without the need for these advanced simulation tools and for, without the need for these, um, you know, complicated algorithms and wind tunnel time and stuff like that. They've worked it all out. So all of those are gone. So where you gain an advantage now are these small little intricate details that cost ridiculous amounts of money to find, you know, one or two points of downforce that in the past you'd find 15 points of downforce in a wind tunnel session. Now you're finding one or two, but it costs Mm -hmm. the same amount to go to the wind tunnel because they're not as obvious or as easy to find. Right. And, and and also understanding the the, the 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 interface between the mechanical and the arrow, you yeah. know, there's a lot there's a lot of little tricks that that we spend money on that actually we can make the car do something mechanically that enhance it aerodynamically. And these, no, I mean, these are, 
You know, these are things that we that that we we understand more now because we have the we have tools or we we're using tools that that didn't exist years ago or uh, techniques that have been developed. You know, uh, yeah. in, in, in the not too so distant past. I mean, you go back three or four years ago in NASCAR and the area of underbody aero was still very immature. You know, the concept of having a flat floor underneath the car mm-hmm. was was a novel concept. Now, in the last three or four years, that's been hit, you know, quite extensively. And, yeah. and now the teams are getting to a position where they've probably got 90 to 95% of the underside of that car pretty flat. Right. And, I mean, they're using engine blocks and steering arms and, uh, center links and all these sort of parts to get the their aero parts as much as they are mechanical parts. So, yeah, they re- redesign re- redesign components on the engine for yeah, for, air, for, for aero aerodynamics, right? And, you know, and now those areas are becoming. You know, everybody started to fill out those areas. It's like, well, what's next? Oh, well, we can adjust this little widget to make that flat. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollars. Whereas the other bits would be five thousand dollars, because they're getting smaller and smaller and more intricate. Right. Um, it, the thing the teams have to ask themselves now: when, what, what is the saturation point? What is the then, point? Yeah. What is the point? What, what is the best that we can make this? What is the best? Exactly. But and then, then, and then the, work backwards because well, you're going to spend. You know, if if we can only improve this car. X amount of counts of downforce, and we we've maxed out. Are we going to spend millions of dollars to do this, or we're going to take that money and 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 since we've almost at saturation point, transfer that to another area? Now you see, we have a the problem with that is, and we have a saying back in England: it's like turkeys voting for Christmas. We everybody in England eats turkey for Christmas dinner, so it's like over here it'd be like turkeys voting for Thanksgiving. These teams, you know, I, I thought, who. who I, Richard, I thought people ate figgy figgy pudding on Christmas. Well, like, yeah, but figs can't really vote, <laughs> can they? Um, I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> it's when you go for a bit of spotted dick that it gets interesting. Okay, um, look so at, that, look off, off topic, but let's get yeah. back to race look cars. It look at anyway. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's your British culinary lesson for the day. Thank um, you, sir. But no, but no, you know. NASCAR is a dictatorship to a certain extent. You know, NASCAR, obviously, they can make the rules as and as when they see fit. However, the teams are, there is a council of team owners and, and, and the like, and, and they vote on the rules. So if you've got Toyota who have a budget of, you know, I'm going to use an arbitrary number, I don't know, $100 million a year, and you've got Ford whose budget is $75 million a year, Toyota aren't going to turn around and say, oh, we need to cut back on the, the R&D money. They're going to want to encourage it because they know they've got more money. So who's going to be the one that turns around and says, we can't develop in this area. We're going to take this tool away from you when the teams themselves are the ones that have invested, you know, you know tens of millions of dollars in the area. They're not going to take it away from themselves. So it's a very, very difficult argument for the teams to settle because at some point it's they're going to turn and say no we've got a clear you know toyota has a clear advantage in this area so we're not going to vote to get rid of it it's a good point you know um and you know even to the point of uh you know uh mr brad keselowski who uh was one of the uh three that did not win the thing 
his. Uh, well, he was one he, of the 39 that didn't win it, wasn't he? Well, he was one of the three eligible <laughs> that didn't win. Yeah, you're right. But he, uh, you know, he chalked the thing up to uh, manufacturer advantage. Um, yeah. You know, Kyle Busch chalked it up to uh, Kyle Busch, you know, Toyota chalked it up to uh, Joe Logano's fault. But, uh, you know, Kozlowski, you know, mentioned the manufacturer advantage, and he said it earlier in the season um, that, you know, Toyota has a manufacturer advantage. And, you know, Kozlowski said, uh, Oh, Chevrolet's got a new car coming out, and, and Ford's going to be another year with their new car, so they're probably going to have to sit and lose for a whole year. But, you know, it, I guess it is what it is if, if you're, your manufacturer's behind the curve there. But, no, um, it's because, listen, they've, they've done their They've done homework, their homework. They've, they've done their homework, course, yeah. They've, they've thrown, they've, and, they, and they've spent the money to do it. What that does is they've set the bar. It's Ford. And Chevy's deal now to uh, to either put up or shut up. You know, you've got to you've exactly, got to keep up. Yep. Let, let me NASCAR does everything they can to do to put us in a box and create parity. These cars, we use a common template on these cars now. The common overall template, the silhouette or the greenhouse, is the same. For every, they use the same template to measure all these cars. Cars. Each car has their own identity kit for the front and the rear. So these cars blow the baseline car that they present to NASCAR, Ford, Chevy, and and Toyota, in the wind tunnel, they blow similar numbers, the baseline car. The teams then get them and refine them, or and the manufacturers do that working with the teams to refine them even more because those templates – that grid template is only made up of about, what, 40, 40 templates that go over the car. They don't cover every square inch of that car. There's a lot of area in that car that you can work on to enhance it aerodynamically. And that's what these teams work in. They also put these teams in, in a box when it comes to engines. That's why stuff has to be approved a year or more in advance before we can. And they, we have to use that approved part. Then again, the same thing applies to the engines as applies to the body. The t- individual teams get together with the manufacturer and they work on enhancing enhancing those products underneath the rules because these cars are stringently inspected. And that'll go against the grain, too, of these conspiracy theorists who say that, yeah, they turn a blind eye to this and a blind eye to that. Hey, teams try to fudge and do and try to pull the wool over NASCAR's eyes. Sometimes they do. A lot of times now they don't. But that's part of the game. But, you know, NASCAR has tried to create as much parity in this sport as they can. It's, it's, it's up to the teams and the manufacturers to work within their rules to maximize their product. And basically, Toyota has done that. They've taken what, what, what the rules have allowed and they've maximized it. Ford, Chevy have to go back to the drawing board and go back to work. And I have no doubt that they that that uh, they won't. I mean, look last year how well Penske ran in the Ford, the, the cars ran there. I think over the winter you're going to see Penske's going to up his game. They're going to go to work. Uh, Stuart Haas will go to, go to work. And the Fords will probably come out of the box showing some gain next year. Chevy's going to have to do the same thing. They're really – stoked about this Camaro and, and the promise it shows in the wind tunnel. 
So I'm sure that they're looking forward to going and thinking they're going to gain next year. But by the same token, Toyota's not going to rest on their laurels. They're going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be taking it and improving uh, improving on their product that they that they race with this year. So it's, you know, it's dog eat dog as it's always been. But, you know, you go back to the old days when before there was the common template and the rules were less uh, less designed for parity, we go to Daytona every year. And the Fords, the Chevys, the all the manufacturers, the, the Dodges, they all had distinctively different-looking cars. And the cars would show up at the test sessions in February, I mean January, and test. And car, teams would sandbag. And NASCAR would immediately, before they came back to Daytona, they would start making concessions uh, in the rules rules package for certain makes and certain manufacturers and it and it really scrambled the rules you had different rules a uh, different rules for the for the fords and a different rules for the for the chevys and different rules for the dodges and it, it and it was no way that you could ever create parity and it was always one manufacturer had had an advantage over the other and in that that was just the way it was then. NASCAR tried to get away from that by creating the common template and creating the cars like, like they are today. They've done a pretty good job at it, but still, there's the arms race that's always going to prevail. People aren't going to sit still and, and rest on their laurels. Absolutely, yeah. So let's um let's get off this topic of the manufacturing because that's a great topic. But let's let's talk about some of the other. Uh, stories coming out of Homestead, namely, you know, one of the bigger stories, um, Dale Jr. His uh, his last ride, um, you know, it wasn't fantastic. I think he finished what twenty first. Um, but uh, again, he had a good he, he had a good race then. Had a good race, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, Sorry. you know, I mean, what he's meant to the sport and the the he's captured the imaginations of a huge fan base, you know. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has a fan base that rivals some of the smaller market uh, NFL teams. And uh, he's, uh, you know, is, is bowed out um, in, in fitting fashion. Martin Truex, who was uh, good friends with Dale for a long time, Dale brought him into the sport, gave him his first opportunity, first ride. Um, Dale walks away, cracks some cans of beer with his crew, because he can, and um, you know, walks away on his own terms rather than leaving last year after the concussion protocol. So, a uh, couple thoughts on Dale Jr. because um, you know the, the, a lot of folks are down on him now and again because he you know hadn't won a championship, hasn't won a ton of races, but he's had a pretty darn good career for sure. Oh yeah, he's and, and he'll probably he's. He, He'll, he's won 28, 29 races in his career. He's won two Daytona 500s. He's a two-time uh, Bush Series champion. Um, he's got a Hall of Fame career, no doubt about it. He will he will eventually make his way into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He has been an ambassador. For, more importantly, he's been an ambassador for, for our sport. And, and, he will, uh, and he'll continue to be an ambassador for the sport. Oh, yeah, for yeah. years to come. He's a 14-time most popular driver. He'll probably he'll probably get his 15th most popular driver award when that's announced next week. You think? Um, I'm not. <laughs> you know, people will debate 
all the time, and we we talk about fans and their view of the sport. And there's a there's a large contingent of fans out there that think the sport began in 1979 when Dale Earnhardt Sr. entered the fray. But there are there are significant figures in our sport that have that have helped it grow. Richard Petty probably being the most significant figure ever uh, to do that to help this sport grow. Dale Earnhardt. Uh, was the next one to come along to to help it grow. And and obviously, uh, Dale Jr. kind of took up the mantle his dad had and and did the same thing and and brought it it to the masses. And and you've got to give him credit for that and and what what he's done for for this sport. And this sport's going to miss him. And uh, it it will probably uh, go through uh, a period of, of, of a few years before someone else emerges uh, to, to take up that mantle again as the most popular driver. And it'll happen. I mean, it's a generational thing, and, and we'll see that again, uh, and, and, and someone else will come to the front. But Dale, during his career, uh, you know, he, um, after his dad died, he was able to, to, to fill that void and, and help this sport move on and, and move along. And, uh, you know, this... I, for one, having worked in this sport, am grateful for for what he's done and, and for what he's brought to the sport. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you cannot discount his contribution to the sport in in no you know in in no little sense. He's meant a lot to the sport, and you know just to the sheer size of his fan base. Right. And, and folks are worried about well, what's next now? Now Dale's gone, but you got you got a really good. Young drivers, like if you look at a Kyle sure. Larson or a, a Chase Elliott, or even or even look at Martin Truex, who's got you know some ties. Excuse me, some ties to the Earnhardts, uh, having driven for a DEI, and um, and and well, you know, aligned with Junior, yeah. So, and you throw along too. We, we've we've gone through a period of time here in the last several years that we Jeff Gordon has retired, Tony Stewart has retired. We're losing Matt Kenseth at the end of this year. We're losing Dale Jr. and 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 was announced this weekend. Also, Danica is going to is going to retire from the sport coming up. So that is that's a big uh, that's a big hit for what we have known in racing for la- for for basically the better part of twenty years. Uh, most of those guys. And again, I, I speak of that in, as a generational thing because. I've been involved in this sport a long, long time. I've been in it for 33 years, and and I was, I was a fan for many, many years before that, and still a fan of the sport. But we saw drivers in the 60s leave the sport in in, in not so good circumstances. We lost them to fatality. We lost them, you know, in, in in fatal accidents, and we lost guys to retire. We saw saw drivers uh, retire. In, a, in close proximity in, in time, and, and we and the sport survived. Another generation of drivers came along and and picked up the mantle and, and carried it forward. And and like you said, the sport's in really good hands right now. We've got a lot of young talent out there that 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 I think is gonna is gonna go to the forefront. We've got kids like Ryan Blaney, like you said. We've got Joey Logano. Joey Logano. We look at Joey Logano like he is a veteran because he's been around a long time, and he has. But he started so young. He's relatively young. Kyle Busch is is just beginning to get to the prime of his career. 
We've got Kyle Larson. We've got uh, Chase Elliott. We've got guys like Eric Jones coming into the sport and, and, and still more uh, coming along. So I think the sport's in a good place. I think uh, fans just need to accept it and, 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 and appreciate these guys for what they're going to bring uh, to this sport. Absolutely. You, you know, you think about some of the guys that, that you know, have come through the sport. Uh, Mark Martin, Ricky Rudd, you know, Rusty Wallace, all these guys that were big stars of, of, of their day. And, you know, they, and they all they, had to start somewhere. And they all had to start somewhere, so you got all these young guys. So uh, I, I agree with you, Greg. The sport's in good hands. Uh, Richard, any comments on the future of the sport before we get into talking about what's next for Danica? Do you any mind comment on uh, on some of these guys that you mentioned as, as the future of the sport? And I mean, from a, a talent pool, I, I, I think it's it's pretty immense. Some of the drivers we've got coming through. I mean, you just look at who Hendrick are picking up next year. I mean, you know, a Chase has done a couple of seasons, but he's still pretty pretty you know early in his career. You know, to have um, you know, William Byron, Chase Elliott, uh, and Alex Bowman there. I mean, there's three precocious talents there. You're not going to find much better than that. But my only comment would be, you know, you look at Dale Jr. and he can talk to anybody. He's got the, you know, front of a better, the gift of the gab. You know, he can talk all day long. You don't get that with some of these guys. You know, mm-hmm. they're very sterile. They're very bland. And I mean, you know, yeah. sometimes you listen to Chase Elliott in an interview and it's like, oh, my goodness me, spit it out, lad. Yeah. You know, say something that engages the fans. Yeah. You know, you're not going to you could see Dale Jr. go into the crowd, grab a beer out of a cooler and drink with some of those guys and just talk for hours about nothing. Yeah. Chase they would have to. You know, every man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't I I struggle to see where that's coming from now, especially with a lot of these guys coming through who have had that. uh, This isn't being disrespectful, a slightly more privileged background to expect, you know, they have their entourage with them and they have their yes men and they have their PR people. And, you know, they're disconnected from the normal fan. And, and that's I think my we, only concern about these people that, you know, the future of the sport. And I, and I agree with you to, to, to a degree. Some of that is it. I, I think one of the one of the kids that I think is going to be more like uh, Dale is, is Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney has that same quality as as Dale does. He's uh, he's very, you know, he just uh, just a regular guy. He, he does. He interacts well with the fans. He talks well. He uh He's a fun-loving guy, you know what I'm saying? And he projects yeah. he projects that image where a lot of the other guys are more buttoned up, more more homogenized, if you will. Yeah, and 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 I think that's something that you know they will find their way a little bit uh, as they go. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But what what you said about those guys kind of segue, so kind of use it as a segue into the next thing. You know, we we talked about some of the young guys, and we can also uh, kind of uh, use that to uh, talk about the Xfinity uh, championship and the truck championships that were decided this weekend at uh, Miami. Also, we had young guns uh, prevail in those series. Uh, William Byron in the Xfinity, rookie of the year, uh, won three or four races and okay. the championship. And then we had Christopher Bell, 
win the Truck Series Championship, and he won four or five races in that series and was and was able to win. So these are young guys that uh, that are that are coming and, and going to be names in the future as well. And obviously, we're going to see uh, William Byron uh, graduating rather quickly uh, up to the Cup <coughs> Series ne- next year. So yeah, um, um, it's uh, it's it's a youth movement in, in, in NASCAR right now. Yes, absolutely it is, yeah. So we'll see, you know, we'll see, uh, William Byron is going to be in the 24 next year, right? Because they're going to move the number, he's going to take, he's taking over Casey Case right in the five, but they're going to renumber 24. Then he's going to swap numbers, yeah. And they're going to, and, you know, and Chase Elliott's going to take over his dad's old number. The number nine. The Bill's number nine, yep. And, uh. And then you've got other guys out there, and I I believe if if I read it correctly, uh, Roush is doing a driver development thing where they got uh, Austin Cindric in there, and a couple other guys, and they they're going to rotate the uh, number sixty car in the Xfinity. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard. I'm not. Uh, you know, we're we're missing Seth tonight, and he could probably yes, yeah, bring us I'd, bring us more up to speed on and, that. And we'll have to get him to kind of help us with that next week. Right. And by the way, I want to wish Seth a very happy birthday. Uh, yep. Seth, yep. Ho- good for him. Seth Racing has announced a driver development program where they're going to take a couple of these guys from the trucks and late models and uh, rotate them through um, the season in the Xfinity car. And one of those kids is Austin Cindric, who's a uh, uh, son of uh, Tim Cindric, who's the president of Penske Racing. Um, and Austin was pretty good in the trucks this year. He's had a couple of X. He made it, to, made it to the championship four. Made it to the championship four, yep. Uh, um, pissed off Christopher Bell in one race. <laughs> uh, so it was a good season? It was a very good season, yeah. So, and he's, uh, he's had a couple of... Uh, Resident Xfinity as well, so um, yeah, those are all young guys coming up through the sport who are going to fill all the voids left by all these other guys leaving. Because you know, Jimmy Johnson doesn't have that many years left either. He'll be, he'll be the next uh, next one to bow out before you know it. So uh, I, think I think Jimmy I heard somewhere he's got three years. I think he's, yeah, he's going to do three years. I heard that same thing, yeah. uh, Richard. I think I heard where heard leading up to the final race that twenty uh, twenty. Will be his last uh, last year in Cup, as what I is what I was hearing. So, uh, which makes uh, which makes sense. Uh, twenty twenty got eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. So three years, three years, and uh, he'll hang up uh, hang up his helmet. And I think, like I said, we've all alluded to Jimmy's probably signed. Jimmy signed his last big contract, as have a lot uh, of these drivers. And we talked about this uh, several weeks ago. Uh, there's a new business model coming with with uh, in NASCAR with uh, how things are going to be done. We've been talking about manufacturers spending money and this kind of thing, but you know, also the the car owners and the money that they're going to have to spend uh, from sponsors is is going to change a little bit. We've we've talked about that. That's going to be affected by uh, dwindling uh, TV ratings and and dwindling attendance. So uh, this sport's going to be under a little bit of an adjustment. To some degree, and I think drivers, uh, it's it, where it's been more of a uh, of a driver's market for the last uh, 20 years. It's going to the pendulum's going to swing back a little bit to where it's going to be more of a little of an owner's market, and uh, uh, we're going to see uh, probably talent uh, come into this sport 
a little quicker than we have in the past. And, and these guys are going to come in because they'll be more uh, uh, more affordable uh, to the owners. So uh, that's something we'll need to look for in the coming years as well. Yeah, and along that note, yeah, it's like uh, we've been talking about Kurt Busch all year long. That it was it was like announced months and months ago that his option was not picked up by Stuart Haas, but at the same time, Stuart Haas said they intended to retain Kurt Busch. But now we are at the end of the season, and there's nothing, nothing solid, nothing saying that uh, yeah, we're we're okay bringing Kurt back in. And and I watched a piece today on a. Uh, uh, NASCAR America on um, NBC that maybe Kurt's not their guy. Are uh, you guys hearing anything about that? Or no, just still is a the, the forty one is an open seat as is the twenty seven. The only thing that we know that was really confirmed and it was confirmed I think before we went on the air last week that the ten seat has been uh, has been settled on and that's. Uh, that's going to be Eric Amarola in the team yep. car that, that Danica's vacating. And that brings us to Danica. And let's talk and her, about Danica. Yeah, and her announcement last week where she has, uh, obviously, uh, there's there's not a ride, on, you know, uh, immediately available on the horizon for her, uh, probably due to uh, uh, not being able to put a sponsor package together to put her in it in one of these open rides. So Danica has probably decided – uh, somewhat reluctantly, that uh, she's going to call it quits after next year, and she's she announced that she plans to run the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500 in 2018 and hang up the helmet. And the interesting thing there is that she doesn't have a ride or a sponsor confirmed for either one of those races. Now, <laughs> you know the uh, hey hey, I'm going to do the Daytona 500. Anybody else going to do it with me? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll change your tires, but don't guarantee I'll get, I, if I get four out of five lug knots, that'd be okay. I'll be fine. I think, I think, so the undercurrent thought is that Chip Ganassi is maybe behind this, but, uh, Chip could, well, I heard Penske might be behind it. Yeah. No, 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 Penske, no, Penske confirmed that. He wishes Danica well, but there's no room on his team for her. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, ben, you know, and it, then it, yeah. Mike Hull, who is uh, Chip Ganassi's um, chief engineer, yeah. he pretty much said there's no room for Danica on their team either. Um, Andretti Racing said there's no room for Danica on, on their team, but they wish her well. Um, so, which leaves, as far as for the Indy 500, Perhaps Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport, who had that little deal with Didier Kamel's fall through, uh, there could be a spot there for her. Um, what do you think? Perhaps, what do you think? Uh, perhaps if, maybe, if you had maybe to lay odds on her being in the Indy 500 next year, if she's putting it out there, the odds are good she's going to somebody's going to come up with a ride, and it'll she, be funded. Yes, if it's funded. Yep, but she's not. Gonna, tell you what? She's not going to be. What? She's not going to be in a Penske. She's not going to be in an Andretti car. She may be in a Ganassi car because those guys are a little cagey about saying what's going on. But but Mike Hall is saying no. Chip Ganassi is saying, yeah, we talked to her. So I, I don't know. But um, well, I think she's, apparently you know, there's some apparently there's something going on. Um, 
Well, worst comes to worst, the uh, the IndyCar series will throw some money at just to yeah, get, and I, just, just and to for, get the gimmick. But I, I love to see her. Event. She may be in a she may be in a Dry and Rainbow car, um, yeah. uh, you know, as a teammate to Sage Karam. But I'd like to see her in a top car. But for her to just say, "Oh, I'm going to run Daytona and Indy without a rider, without a sponsor <laughs> to announce," um, she must know something. Yeah, uh, that's my feeling. She knows something, and there's something brewing out there, out there. And I, and obviously, for Danica to do a one shot race at Indy Five in the Indy Five Hundred, which you know that that's going to be a big deal in itself if she goes to Indy and tries to make the show. That's going to be a media, um, a big a big media splash. You know it will. It'll create a lot of attention. It'll be good for Indy. Let's face it. It'll be good for Indy. It'll be good for Indy car. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, just like Alonzo going last year, it'll be big. It'll be big news. So yeah, I think I think they'll. Every a lot of people will probably be in on that deal, and they'll make that deal happen. So, like I said, she must know something. I don't think she'd just get up there and and and, and throw that out. So something's going on. Somebody's gonna. Somebody will work out something and, and get her in a car for Daytona, which, you know, obviously that if she can come up with a sponsor for one race, which, uh, I, you know, there's lots of people out there in this day and time that will make that happen for her. So, uh, but, yeah, I wish her luck. I think, you know, she's just at a crossroads now looking at it. She's 30. How old is she? She's 35. Is that correct? 35, 36? Yeah, somewhere right around there, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and I'm sure, you know, uh, she at some point in time, she's probably serious about, you know, settling down, getting remarried and and, and, and possibly starting a family, you know. So uh, and, you know, that's uh, all those things, you know, have a have a shelf life. And uh, you got to, you know, she's at that she's at that point now. She's got to start thinking about things like that. I, you know what? I was at the. 2005 Indy 500 when Danica was a rookie and she qualified on the front row and she led late in the going. I've never heard that place explode so much with applause and screams as when she took the lead late in the going. Uh, You know, mind you, history will tell you uh, Dan Weldon won that race uh, and Danica was on the cover of Sports Illustrated the next day. So, uh, Danica's good for the sport. She's good for Indy. Uh, you know, I've met Danica a couple times. Um, you know, I, I like Danica. I'd love to see her get one more shot in an car. She's going to be rusty as hell, though, after, what, five, six seasons in NASCAR? Oh, somebody will put her in a seat, and she'll be she'll, – she'll... She'll oh, no, no, some somebody the, will put her in a seat, no doubt, but I, I'm just... She'll knock some of the dust off. She'll knock the dust off, yeah, so... But, um, you know, good on her. If she if she gets it all together and runs those two races, it'll be a nice send-off to her career. But, you know, the poor guy who got a quiet send-off to his career was Matt Kenseth. You know? Yeah, so but, I mean... Like, it, he, he was, it, it was just kind of lost in everything else that... But that's totally in character of his career. Yep, yeah, he's you know, been kind he, of a quiet guy. Yeah, he's, he's, right. He's, he's the guy not, that won. He's the guy that won a championship uh, on one win, and that started the chase. Terrific, 
terrific have to have a chase. Yes, no. consistency. But he's, you know, he's another Hall of Famer. 20, oh, definitely uh, 30, Hall of Famer, 30, yeah. 39 wins, 39 Cup wins. 39 Cup wins, Daytona that's pretty, 500 that's pretty, yep. that's pretty good. 39 Cup wins and two Daytona 500s and a Cup championship. That's Hall of Fame credentials all day long, and he will, he'll definitely – uh, probably a first ballot uh, inductee, no, no, no doubt about it. But there again, you know, um, he was never flashy. Just a, a, a work. He'd come in and give you a workmanlike job, do do his job, win races. He was talented, uh, and he did it. But he didn't. Uh, he wasn't one to, uh, you know, uh, be on the be on the. Uh, out front of the camera and all that. He just he just came to the racetrack. He did his job. He was a racer, and uh, so he's probably he's kind of going out like he came in. Yeah, and then one interesting note on Kenseth because he won race just a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's the only guy that has won a Winston Cup race, Nextel Cup race, Sprint Cup race, and a Monster Energy race. He's won in all those different formats. Yeah, different, mm. uh, you know, sponsor naming things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about uh, that? Yeah, that? That's how long his career spanned, and he's been that consistent for that long. And, and you know, to see him win just recently, you know, good on him, good on Matt. I, I've i told you this before, Gray. I When I was living in Wisconsin years ago, somebody told me at the short track in Kakana, Keep your eye on this Kansas kid because he's going to be the next big thing in NASCAR. Sure enough, you know, 25, Mar- 30 years came later. Came in as a Mark Martin protege. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. Mark Martin was really high on him and, and convinced Jack Roush to hire the kid. And the kid, and, the, the kid uh, did good. And the rest <laughs> is history. Yes, it is. Yeah, he's had, a, he's had a great career. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, obviously, he... Maybe didn't go out on on his on his terms or ideal ideally on his terms, but nothing to be ashamed of. And like I said, most definitely a Hall of Fame career. Absolutely. Now, Richard, let's. Uh, we've got one more Formula One race this season going on. Yep. NASCAR is done. IndyCar is done. But <laughs> Formula One's got one more race going on, and uh, yeah, the championship been decided for. Oh gosh, a month now, right? Yep. So, uh, I, the, the news story I heard was uh, Robert Kubica signed a two-year deal with Williams. Then the other news story I read said Williams denies signing Robert Kubica. <laughs> so, uh, so what? What do you make of this? You think you think we're gonna really gonna see Robert in a Williams car next year, or oh, not? Without any hesitation, they wouldn't be running him in the Abu Dhabi test again for the third time if they uh, if he if he wasn't capable of driving, they would have worked it out by now and there would have been them. Um, you know, and all these leaks, it wouldn't be the first time that Williams have screwed up a contract negotiation, would it? Now, really. Um, so yeah, I, I firmly believe that he signed a deal for them. Uh, there could be some clause in there, depending on how he does in Abu Dhabi. Uh, there could be, you know, it could be one of these stupid things that the contract doesn't actually become active until the first of January. So therefore, Williams says, "Well, you know, the contract's not uh, whatever." You know, they they have these weird ways of getting out of actually confirming things that they don't want to confirm. Uh, so no, I think he'll be there. I think he'll be good. I think he'll do well. I think 
I think it's a great move for the organization. As an organization, Williams are sort of, they've, they've had this sort of cyclic sort of existence over the last 10 years or so. I mean, you go back to 2012 when they won in Barcelona and, you know, they had, you know, Maldonado had some good results and probably could have done even better if he'd kept the thing on the track and not driven into people on a few more occasions. And then they lost the way a little bit there for a few years when the Renault engine sort of, um, sort of, Dropped off, uh, dropped off the chart a little bit there, and then um, then you saw them come back with the Mercedes engine deal and the uh, Martini um, branding, and then had a couple of good years there. And now they've dropped back a little bit. I think this, you know, Kubica coming in could be the sort of shot in the arm that that team needs to to push it back up against, uh, push it up past, uh, you know, the likes of Force India and. And some of those teams that have been beating it, but arguably they should be ahead of. Yeah, and as you and I have talked about, you know, speaking of, uh, uh, you know, you know, they've they've landed their, their they've set their future on Lastro, who's, uh, I, you know, he's he's got some talent, you know, yet to be seen, uh, but uh, obviously his family is helping fund the team, and to have a guy like Robert come in there. To mentor this young kid who's just learning the sport, you know, Roberts uh, knows the intricacies of the sport. He he knows the tracks, and he, he was one of the best out there. And he wasn't in the best car all the time, so uh, I think that's a win-win for for Stroll and his family and his thing oh, there, sure. just to have a uh, uh, you know a little mentor right there. Yeah, and you know, as you say. Um you know, it, it gives an opportunity for uh, for Lance to learn from an experienced driver. I mean, and goodness me, if um, Kvyat went in there, I mean, hey, Lance knows how to crash all by himself. He doesn't need anybody else helping him. Well, you know, Lance and Dandy could, you know, crash into one another. Exactly. And just, you know, give the engineers, you know, and the mechanics uh, lessons on how to put the cars back together. Yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> It got. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers this. Uh, if it, look this up on YouTube, there was, I think it's Pastor Maldonado, the first year he was with the Renault team after he left Williams or Lotus or whoever it was at the time, and it was at one of the early races in the. I'm going to say it was the Chinese Grand Prix, and he crashed getting into pit into the pit lane, and at the time when he crashed, they were sh- the. Um, the TV was showing a camera from inside the Lotus garage with all the mechanics watching the TV as he crashed on the entry to pit road. And one of the mechanics just turns around and gives this fantastic look to the camera. It's brilliant. You just couldn't make it up. It was priceless. And uh, yeah, you, you, you know, Kvyat's almost getting that sort of uh, Maldonado style reputation. And uh, I think, uh, I think Kubik is a far better uh, pick for that seat. Yeah, so now what do you think for, a, you know, Danny Kvyat's future? You know, because he was, he I, was I, you know, is, is, is that the end of the line for him? I think so. I mean, he's been fired by Red Bull three times. You know, you thought they'd get the idea by now, wouldn't you? Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's done. Pure and simple. You um, seem like a Dale Coin Indy car if he, you know, brings some money to the table. Yeah, maybe he'll bring some money in there. Uh, Visa may be an issue for him, but <laughs> I'm sure he'd get that sorted out. Or, um, uh, you know, or, uh, 
sports cars or whatever, or you think yeah, he's, I mean, you he think this is the world in general? He, he's, uh, look, what we've got to be, and, and, and I, I, I hate myself when I do this, but everybody sits around and criticizes these drivers. Jeez, they are 10 times, 100 times the driver you or I are. So it's very easy. Oh, exactly. To sit here. He made it a very, very one. easy to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, so and so is a terrible driver. No, he's not. He is a damn good driver. Is he in the world's top 20? Sorry, chap, you're not. You know, he's just not. He's a good driver, uh, but he's not, you know, he, he's not in that league of F1 drivers, I'm afraid. And uh, he'll go somewhere. He'll, You know, he'll have a good career in World Endurance or IndyCar or uh, DTM or V8 or whatever he chooses to do. Um, but Formula One, no. Nah, just, unfortunately, had his chance. Not his, not his uh, deal, I'm afraid. All right. So speaking of Formula One, it looks like uh, Gasly and um, the kid from New Zealand. His name escapes me right now. Help me out. Uh, Brendan Hartley. Brendan Hartley are are going to be solid for that lineup for next year. Is that what we're hearing? Yes. Yeah. I think those two have been confirmed. Which again, you know, Brendan Hartley. I mean, that's a, that's a left field pick there. I mean, it really is. I mean. He was part of the Red Bull Junior team, I'm going to say, eight, ten years ago, something like that, and just didn't, you know, was, again, a quick driver coming through the junior categories and just, you know, didn't really make the grade, and off he went to do, you know, endurance racing, and, yeah, and, you know, right place, right time with um, coming in to replace science there. I mean, wow, you know, who, I mean, all, the, all of his Christmases came at once right there, didn't they? Um so, uh, yeah, no, good luck to him. No, good for him, yeah. This guy, he was, like, pegged to uh, be Scott Nixon's teammate at Ganassi Racing in the IndyCar Series, and suddenly he's got him a Formula 1 ride, so he's like, yeah. sorry, Chip. You know? <laughs> so, See you later. But, um, well, but I hope that works out for him. Uh, you know, uh, he's, like, he's done well in sports cars, so. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, gosh, we're up against the clock here. Um, are there any more um, final thoughts we have for tonight? Uh, I'll go around the table. I'll start with you, Gray. Oh, well, really no final thoughts this weekend. It's uh, no no racing this weekend other than the other than the F1 race. We can, that's not really racing, is it? It's going to be procession at Abu Dhabi. Let's be well, honest. but at least it'll be cars. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least it'll be cars, and we can, we can finish off the season uh, – Watching that, and uh, then we uh, we go into the to the off season, and of course we've got the uh, the cup banquet coming up, which I don't think anybody really watches watches much of that anymore. Uh, but uh, nothing really, no news will come out of it. Championships already been decided, and all they'll do is pass out checks and stuff like that. And none of them have my name on it, so I really don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Really don't have that much interest in in, interest in, in, in in watching in watching that, but uh, yeah, uh, we're about to put the uh, put the wraps on another another season uh, another season of racing. It'll be done, and uh, we'll uh, we'll take a little bit of downtime and uh, enjoy the holidays, and uh, we'll be uh, be right back at it. I believe we're we're less than ninety days away. From the Daytona 500, some uh, between what about 80, 88, 87 days, something like that. So uh, you know, and that's going to go, that's going to come and go very quickly. 
And in, in between there, we've got the Rolex 24 where... Uh, yeah. Fernando Alonso yeah, well, that, that, yeah. We'll be excited that, so. about that. We'll, that'll be probably cool, be about yeah. the time. Be about the time we probably go back. Uh, go back on the air from the from our winter hiatus. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, Richard, uh, final thought for the evening. Uh, probably the first time in about what forty weeks that we won't be saying Truex is going to win this weekend. Okay. <laughs> But actually, he probably will. He'll probably get a drive in a Formula One car and just go and win that race as well. Uh, no, uh, you know, it's it's been a it's been a you know these these NASCAR seasons they do tend to uh, tend to sort of drag a little bit. But it was a good finish, and you know the right guy won. Um, they 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 did what they needed to do. So uh, you know, congratulations to those guys. They've um, you know they beat everybody else. They showed everybody else how it's how it's done and. Uh, it's up to the other teams and the other manufacturers to go out there and uh, and build a better car. So uh, you know, well played to them and uh, congratulations. But next year's another year, and uh, you know everybody will be pushing quite hard to uh, to go out there and uh, you know get their name on that trophy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my last thought for the evening is like, you know, Martin Truex, you know, good on him. The right guy won. Um, everybody's going to be gunning for him next year. Uh, I hate that the racing season is over, other than the uh, procession coming up in Abu Dhabi next week. But, uh, you know, guys, I enjoy talking to you every week, and uh, we'll be back on next week. Um, and to the uh, Who's the Radio Network, I thank you. Um, to uh, iHeartRadio, I thank you. And, and SoundCloud, I thank you. And we'll talk to you all next week. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>